We're reading about Jesus and a resurrection appearance that John tells us in the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I grew up south of here in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. I attended Horace Mann Elementary School. For some reason in my class, there were lots of boys and not very many girls. In fact, over at the First Methodist Church where I grew up, on our roll for my grade, we had 19 boys and two girls. You can imagine how terrible that was for the two girls. I saw one of them a couple of weeks ago, though, in Cleveland, and she's still going to church, so we didn't drive her completely away. So many boys that about this time of the year when we would organize baseball teams for Little League, each school in town usually had one team. We always had two until I was about fifth or sixth grade. And then we had so many boys that they said we're going to have to have three teams that year. And they told us the particular day to be on the playground after school. And they would tell us how this was going to work out and how they were going to divide us up and who was going to be on which team and all that kind of thing. And so we gathered there, this mass of boys. We were excited and energized and ready to go. And what they explained to us was that each of the two teams that had been uh, in existence chose a core of the boys that they wanted to keep. And then they let some of us go with the other group that they were going to have a draft for to fill up the third team and to fill out the other two teams. I was one of the ones sent that was going to be in the draft. Now, granted, I wasn't a very good baseball player, but still, I can tell you, as they explained to us what was going to happen and then separated some of us out and moved us over here, it felt terrible. Your coach from last year had said, you know, we don't really want you. Maybe somebody else will pick you. So as they began to pick, of course, what happened inside each of us was we began to realize somebody was going to be the last one picked. And the dread began to build. I can tell you, it's a heavy weight when you're 10 years old and you're afraid you're going to be the last one chosen and you know that you really were not wanted. You've sort of been discarded. You were kind of expendable. Not much worth in that young boy. It's a heavy weight for a 10-year-old boy. Have you ever been the last one chosen? It doesn't really matter what age. It's a heavy weight to bear at any age to feel unwanted, expendable, unworthy, cast aside, or even worse, not just to be the last one chosen, but maybe not to be chosen at all. 
People work 20, 30, 40 years sometimes in a business or at a company, and then one day they get the notice, we don't need you anymore. You're expendable. We're going to be fine without you. Move on down the road. Or maybe to be passed over for a school admittance or a club or a team or some group you wanted to be part of. Have you ever been there? Have you had that experience? It is a heavy weight to bear. Social scientists say that we navigate through our lives asking three questions internally all the time, particularly when we're entering into new groups. I put an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. The questions are there. Do I belong here? Will I be included? Who is in control? Do I belong here? Will I be included? Who is in control here? Now, social scientists are talking about that on a human level, but I think Jesus in our text from John today answers all three of those questions on a spiritual level, which hopefully informs how we answer it for ourselves in terms of human interaction. Look with me again if you have your Bibles there. Open to the 20th chapter, resurrection appearance, Jesus coming back to his disciples. Then in verse 21, John records that Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Can you hear the answer to the question? You belong because Jesus has chosen you. It might help to hear it a little better if you remember back in the 15th chapter of John, Jesus is with his disciples and the last night he's with them physically and he says to them, you did not choose me, I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit. You did not choose me, I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Can you hear that, that you belong because God has chosen you through Jesus Christ. You are a part of the family of God. You are a part of the family of Christ. You belong because Jesus has chosen you. But then there's that next question, will I be included? And we get mixed up about this sometimes in churches and think the people in robes and stoles are the ones chosen or called, and we're the only ones that God is calling. That's poor theology. That is not really what we believe. That is not the core of the gospel. Paul paints a beautiful picture of this when he uses the metaphor of the body of Christ and says that we're all included, each one of us playing a different role. We need every part to play their role, and if we're not playing our role, the body is incomplete. In our baptism, every one of us is included in the body of Christ. You have a role to play. God is counting on you to fill your role so the body might be complete and God might be able to do the work that God wants to do to redeem the world. Each one of us needs to understand God has included us. God has gifted us and blessed us and equipped us so that we can be sent into the world to share God's love with the world. Let's be clear, not just the ministers, but all of us have a role to play. In fact, you have an eternal 
and non-transferable role to play in building the kingdom of God on earth. Then finally, that question, who is in control here? I think Jesus answers this one too, still in verse 21, when he says, as the Father, as the Father has sent me, that's who is in control, our loving Father. Jesus gives us that beautiful image of a relationship between father and child and that God loves us so much. Jesus prays to God as Abba or Daddy. It's a close, familiar relationship, a relationship of love. And Jesus is reminding his disciples, God has sent me as the Father has sent me. That's who is in control. Our God, our loving Father is creating and redeeming and sustaining us, is choosing and sending us into the world. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, Jesus says. Jim Moore was one of our great United Methodist pastors, served most of his time in Houston, Texas, now retired, I understand, living in Dallas, written dozens of books. You may have read some of his work, tells wonderful stories about life and faith. One of my very favorite stories is one that Jim tells. He says it happened in his very first appointment when he was right out of seminary as a young man, and he was so ready to go, and he preached his first sermon, and then here came Mrs. Finlaw. The matriarch of the church was Mrs. Finlaw. He knew who she was. She ran the church she ran the preacher he said oftentimes she ran the preacher off <laughs> so you need to get along with mrs finlaw if you were going to stay around he wanted to stay around and here came mrs finlaw and stopped right in front of him he said now i knew i was stopped because you have to understand mrs finlaw weighed in about 350 pounds so when she stood in front of you you were stopped he said he knew he was in trouble because she started out i have decided and was pointing at him she said, I have decided that you should coach my little league, my son's little league baseball team. He said, oh, 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 no, thank you. He said, I was so firm and clear. He said, I'm, I'm a preacher. I, I'm glad to be your pastor, but I'm no baseball coach. She kept talking for a while, and he said, before he knew what he was doing, he was saying yes. All of a sudden, he said, I was Surrey Finlaw's baseball coach he said you've got to understand also about Surrey 10 years old he weighed in at about 250 pounds physical skills were not his long suit he said when I gathered the boys together for the first practice it was worse than that it appeared that Surrey might be the best guy on the team he said these kids knew nothing about baseball they didn't know where to stand what to say what to do he said but I set out I had said yes I was gonna do my best and we practiced and we practiced but we just we just couldn't make any progress until one particular day on that particular day a little black boy walked up to the outfield fence and started watching us practice and just stood there for more than an hour watching us practice and then he moved down a little bit on the third base side. And then finally he was close enough where I could speak to him casually. And I said, hello. He said, hello. I said, how are you? He said, I'm fine, sir. I said to him, do you play baseball? He said, well, yes, sir. I can play baseball. He said, well, what do you like to play? He said, I'm a pitcher. And he said, oh, you can pitch. We didn't have a pitcher. 
He said, well, yes, sir. He said, what's your name, son? He said, Eric. He said, come out here, Eric. Let's see what you can do. He gave Eric the ball, looked at home plate. He said, we didn't even have a catcher yet. But I thought big old Surrey Finlaw can at least stop the ball. So I put him in the catcher spot. And he said, oh, my gosh, could Eric throw? I mean, it was like he was throwing that ball 100 miles an hour. I mean, he was firing it in. He was just rolling old Surrey Finlaw all the way to the backstop. And he began to think, man, oh, man, if this kid can pitch for us, we'll win at least a quarter of our games. We're on our way. We're in the win column. He said, but in all my joy and excitement, I forgot. All my boys were white. Eric was black. This was decades ago in the South. He said in that little town, little black boys and little white boys did not play together. And he said he began to hear the rumblings around the edges, people talking about this. And then there was a meeting called, and some of his parishioners said, you better go to the meeting. Then there was another meeting called, then another meeting called. And finally he said, we ended up one night at City Hall. City councilors are discussing whether or not Eric can be on our baseball team. By the end of the meeting, they decide they should ask the Little League if he could be on the team. Say to the little league, they, they should open up the league to all children. And they did. And Jim said, I felt great about that, but that's not the end of the story. He said, we went back out there practicing with Eric, and we were inspired. But a couple of days later, I looked at the outfield fence, and from the same direction, the very same direction, here came another little black boy. And I said to Eric, do you know him? He said, well, yes, sir, I do. He said, who is that? And he said, that's my brother. He said, really, can your brother play baseball? He said, well, he can hit a little. So we called him in. And, oh, man, he could hit. Eric was a great pitcher, but this kid hit the ball out of the park almost every pitch. And Jim Moore said, I was getting so excited. Now we'll win at least half our games. This is going to be a season to remember. We're going to come together. And all the other kids were rallying around. Our practices were getting more spirited. And a couple of days later, I glanced out there. Same fence, and there was a little black girl standing there. I didn't even look at Eric. I just went over there and said to her, where do you play? <laughs> she said, center field. I said, great. And, oh, she could. She was fast. She could run back. and She covered the whole outfield pretty much for us that season. We had a great year. All of a sudden, this ragtag group of kids were winning one game after another game after another game. It came to the last game of the season. We were playing the team that had been the champions for as long as anybody could remember. It was a hot summer night, sultry, high humidity, flies, mosquitoes around. The stands that were usually mostly empty were packed. It was a full house. The crowd was all abuzz. They'd heard this ragtag group of kids might be beating the champions. They wanted to see what would happen. And it was a great game, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, it came to the last inning, and the game was tied. But we had the last at-bats. Our first two players got hits. They were on base. Then the next two were put out. But I knew we were coming to our best hitter. I looked at the dugout to call him out. I saw Surrey Finlaw. He's still sitting on the bench. We had a rule, though. Everybody prayed. And everybody played every game. And Surrey had not been in the game that night. And I turned away thinking to myself, oh, Lord, not tonight. <laughs> and I saw Mrs. Finlaw sitting 
in the bleachers. And I turned back around and said, sir, you're up. <laughs> but we had been here before, last inning. Sir, he tries his hardest, but he cannot hit the ball. I tell you, he had not hit the ball the whole season. So I had a brainchild. I went over to him before he was ready. I mean, he put on his helmet. He had gotten dirt on his hands and on his shirt and on his pants. I mean, he looked like he could play. But I knew he couldn't hit the ball, so I whispered to him, Surrey, do not swing. He shakes his head. He's got it. I go back to the third base. I flash the signs. The pitcher throws the ball, and Surrey swings with all he's got. He misses the ball by several feet, and I lose it and said, Surrey, Finlaw, I told you not to swing that bat. Now you not swing that bat. He shakes his head. Pitcher throws the next pitch. He does not swing. It's a ball. Like, whew, okay, we've got a chance. I flash some more signs. I know he's with me now. I turn around to look at the base runners, and the next thing I hit, heard, was something I never heard from Surrey Finlaw. It was the sound of the crack of the bat and the ball colliding. Surrey had actually swung and hit the ball, and the ball started going up, and it was over the infielders' heads and over the outfielders' heads and went over the fence, and the crowd went crazy. People are jumping up and screaming. Instead of running around the bases, Surrey is so excited, he's just kind of hopping along. <laughs> Takes him about 20 minutes to get around the bases because he's hopping up and down the whole way. But I tell you, when he came past third base to home plate and I was standing there, he and I were both changed people. Well, it was an exciting night, and we won the big trophy. And Eric, the first black boy to ever play in the Little League in that town, was awarded the most valuable player trophy. And everyone had congratulated us. Most everybody had gone. I was picking up the bats and the bases, putting them in the bag when I felt a tug on my sleeve and I turned around and it was Surrey Finlaw he said that was the greatest hit ever wasn't it coach and Jim Moore said oh Surrey that was the greatest hit I've ever seen in the world and he waited just a moment and then Surrey said thanks coach for choosing me for choosing me Thanks, Coach, for choosing me. When we recognize that God is choosing us, that's our best response. Thanks, God, for choosing me. Thanks, God, for including me. People of Boston Avenue, I tell you, God is choosing you and sending you into the world with the power of the Holy Spirit to spread his love far and wide. Thanks, God, for choosing us. I believe God has chosen you, and I believe God has chosen me and sent us to serve. I believe God has chosen me and sent me here to be your pastor. And I believe if you listen closely, you will hear God leading you and prompting you into the future to share his love. John told it like this. Jesus came and stood among them. And the disciples saw the Lord. And then Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, 
so I send you. Amen. And thanks be to God.